0: whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. Halo, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sacred Icon podcast. With my wife, Erica, we are here uh, with uh, hot-off-the-press takes of Final Fantasy sixteen. We just completed the game. Uh, as many of you know, we started it on our anniversary, actually the day before anniversary, technically, which was uh, June 21st, and now two weeks and five days later, uh, we have completed the game, and we're here to share our thoughts. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, uh, feelings, emotions, um Really, really great game. We're very, very happy with it. Uh, just to kind of kick it off and, and, and see where we're at with it, Erica, give me like a, whatever is brief for you, a, a sentence, a paragraph, and a score for this game, where you're coming at from, like to kick it off.
1: Okay, so I could be riding the hype. I could be riding the it's hype.
0: Definitely always hyperbole. Well, yeah. not always hyperbole, but always hype and FOMO and all that stuff plays into yeah, this. Yeah,
1: and I, like, I try not to be like that, generally yeah. speaking. I usually am like oh i need this to sit for a while but yeah. like i might be riding the hype, but this might be my favorite video game ever uh, which i wasn't anticipating because i'm a huge fan of final fantasy um uh, but i was not like closely following production of this game or anything i was just like oh a new final fantasy title is dropping therefore i will play it and it'll probably be a good experience and the first few hours i was like a little bit taken aback because I didn't look into it. I didn't know it was a rated M game, which is unusual for Final Fantasy. Uh so I was like, oh, this is like, whoa, there's blood. That's not normal. Or, oh, look at this and that. This feels not like Final Fantasy. Cutscene. Yeah, oh man, tunnel, cutscene, tunnel, cutscene, tunnel, cutscene. No
0: full-on nudity, but like, you know, a naked back or a leg. Yeah.
1: Like yeah. yeah, unnecessary implied nudity, which just things that are just unusual for Final Fantasy. But like once we got past that kind of demo opening couple of hours um, and got out into the game proper. It was such a Final Fantasy game, and the characters were so endearing. I like my favorite Final Fantasy is probably before this is probably Final Fantasy 12, uh, which is also kind of medieval and political. Uh, and, it, and I love certain characters in that game, but it's not the main character that you love, right? Everyone loves like Balthier, right? He's the leading man, but not the main character. But I love Clive. This is not brief. I'm not being brief. No, that's okay. <laughs> I, I don't care. I love Clive. Clive is my son. Yeah. Torgle is the goodest boy. He was based off of our good boy Leon. Obviously, Jill's amazing. Jill's great. They're the best couple in gaming.
0: Gav, Sid. This is a spoiler
1: cast, by the way. Yeah. Well,
0: it'll be it'll be on the episode title, but like yeah. Gav, Tarya. Oh
1: man, yeah. So uh, many like little NPC people yeah. that we actually cared about.
0: I mean, even like Isabel. Yeah, like, you know? yeah.
1: Yeah. And I got to the end, and I was just like, this made me feel a lot of feelings. I need to let it sit. Mm-hmm. probably for several months and then replay it and decide how I feel about it but yeah. like right now I'm giving it like a nine nine and a half yeah because
0: I mean well it's kind of a similar experience to remake right because we played remake and we're like that's one of the best games we've ever played I think we were both in that nine ten area for remake and then years have gone by and we still feel the same way but that's an, mm-hmm. that's an instance where the hype was real yeah. like we still feel that way but you enjoyed this for sure even more than remake me i'm it's really tough like I'm if I had to try to push my like Recency bias aside, I would say I probably like Seven Remake more, but there's I'm actually considering that I like Sixteen more, which is insane. Uh, because, well, I mean, it's
1: insane for me also because yeah. I love Seven and Seven Remake. Yeah. Um, it's so
0: good. It's so good. Well, yeah. So what? What would you? So you said you said nine and a half to around a nine. Nine and a half. Yeah. Is what you said? Yeah. Because I mean, a ten's not perfect, you know. So if you gave it a ten, I wouldn't say that's crazy. But I you know it's easy to. I think not giving it a 10 helps you feel like you're not being as, right. as biased, right? Yeah, I
1: sat down and tried to figure out okay, what would I if 10 is like more or less I can't find a problem with this yeah. game, what would I say is my the thing that's taking off points. And we kind of went back to like when we started playing it, I was complaining a lot about the whole hallway cutscene hallway cutscene very first, heavily in the first few hours. The, the game. first
0: 10 hours have Like, the gameplay to cutscene ratio of the first 10 hours is much, much higher than the rest of the game. If the rest of the game is, like, let's say if the rest of the game is, like, 50% gameplay, 50% Mm cutscenes, the beginning is 75%. Yeah, because
1: we would take turns playing, and we would be watching the cutscenes together, so when it was the next person's turn, we would just skip that cutscene, right? And it would be like, oh, I've been playing for three hours, and you caught up with me in 15 Mm -hmm. minutes.
0: Well... Three hours to one hour probably seems more like I don't and know. If, still, it was yeah. all, it
1: was a very drastic difference. Yeah, it was in, like I can
0: do it in a third of the time if yeah. I just skip those cutscenes.
1: Yeah, so so that was my one um, like more realistic complaint. Um, I I I don't I don't I feel like I don't want to be unfair about the M rated content because it's not that like if I had turned on a the like if I turned on Witcher three or something and had the same content mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been like. <gasps> Clutching my pearls, you know, but I just, I wasn't aware of it beforehand and it, it like felt off brand for Final Fantasy. So that was jarring until I got more used to it. Um, so that was a little weird at first. And Which then, is fair
0: because you have the background Final Fantasy, but I'll be the guy who goes out there and says most of the mature stuff made me like the game more.
1: Yeah, I was you know? just I was just going, "Whoa, I don't even normally see blood in Final Fantasy. There's a lot of blood here." And
0: I would have like this like compulsive laugh that I couldn't control every time in battle Clive would yell the f-word like he would. like I wouldn't even try. I wouldn't be trying to do a thing. Like he would just yell like he'd be getting beat up and then he'd just be like, F what you just yell it and it'd just be like I would just laugh and Erica would be like, Jeez, you really find that funny, don't right? you? Right?
1: I'm like, What I, well to be fair, yeah. Like I wasn't picturing if free yelling obscenity. Yeah, like a summon like a, a summon,
0: a summon will, <laughs> will will yell that, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh,
1: that was my other thing, which I got over it eventually too, was that early on I was like, these summon, these icon battles are so unnecessarily bombastic. And I was like, I like this, that. Yeah. This game costs a ludicrous amount of time, money, talent, and resources to produce because of this kind of thing, which I don't think is necessarily needed to make a game great. But also, like as Brian said, like it's extremely impressive, mm-hmm. and you loved it. Like even though you're you're also someone who will sit yeah. back and say, hey, games don't have to be no all of this to be good games.
0: Yeah, this game um, could have been just as good without spending that exorbitant amount of money. But I've never. I don't think I've ever been more jawstr- like jaw like jawstruck jawstruck jaw smacked jaw smacked like just in shock of the production values cuz like you have production values like The Last of Us 2 which is like highly rendered motion captured you know actors and and voice captured all that stuff and the in the environments and the detail but this is like scale this is like the lighting the effects the just the the scale is insane and this this is giant monster
1: battles in space yeah
0: this is something that I've never seen on this scale in gaming so that's been amazing but uh yeah I would right now you know we me and Josh always preach on the podcast like you know recency bias and the hype and all that stuff come back to us in six months to a year and and get our opinion see if it's the same then but going off of right now if I'm trying to be critical I would give this game a nine out of ten uh with the the big the big negatives would be yeah there's Here's the thing. It's like I wouldn't want to take away any of the cutscenes because the cutscenes are no. amazingly done. But overall, the entire game has an insane amount of cutscenes. And then the first 10 hours specifically, and you'll see that other reviewers had, had put this in their reviews. Like the first 10 hours specifically, it's really trying to bring you into the universe. And it's it's probably like 75%. If you're going off of time spent, the first 10 hours is probably like 70 to 75% cutscenes and 25%, you know, 30% gameplay, which is kind of crazy. That was a problem. Um, now, the side quests, I could go on a big tangent about the side quests. So I know I've mentioned a few times in the Discord on previous episodes of the podcast, you know, hey, I love these, these side quests because they're so easy and accessible for me, but they're awful, they suck. Uh, I was, I'm completely retracting that, taking that back. Uh, to give you guys some context of how I got to that conclusion, I played the first two side quests of the game, and the first two side quests of the game were uh, deliver three bowls of soup, two tables. And the second one was, hey, walk across the room, grab a plank of wood and bring it back to me. So those are my two experiences. And then I watched some reviews from people who had not played all the side quests in the game who said, yeah, the side quests are crap. And I was like, yeah, you know, they said they were crap. I've played it. It's crappy. But the truth is that was another instance of them just trying to bring you into the experience as you get into the game, not even that far. I would say the vast majority of the quests like over 80%, at least, are extremely well-written, characters you care about, world-building you care about. And, you know, to, to dock at some points for, for other people, not necessarily me, most of the quests do boil down to go to this area, talk to these NPCs, um, you know, pick up this thing on the ground, kill, we'll these, kill these enemies. You know, it is simple in that way, but the writing is on such a high caliber, and the character work and the world building is just such high, i mean it's in a, as far as like the world building and 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 voice acting and, and the writing goes i would say it is that witcher 3 level witcher 3 still is superior in its quest design because it's it's all those things plus more that it does but really incredible writing really incredible side quests uh, another thing so you have Erica sitting here saying you know this could be my favorite game of all time and then to add to that like wow this is something special You guys know me. I never do side content. I skip past all the stuff. I 100%ed this game. I was blown away. I did every single side quest. I did every single hunt. Every single extra thing you could do. I did it. It's all... When I finished the game, it was just... There was nothing left to do. And that's because the game drew me in with its world, its characters. The way that it's side quests... Like, I know for some people, they hate the whole, like, get a quest. Oh, here's the marker on your map to go. Go there. Oh, here's the marker to go next. Like, it just... It's like it just tells you where to go. I know some people don't like that, but I do like that because I get to experience the side quests and I don't feel overwhelmed. So many games, it's like, oh, here's a side quest, but you might have to do a thing in this area and then it might lead to this other thing in this area, and we're not going to really tell you where to go, and you kind of have to figure it out yourself. You get to ask around town, and I'm like, at that point, I just want to skip it and go to the main story. So this was very approachable, very well written. I love the side quests, but I would dock the score a little bit for some of the simplicity of the side quests. Uh, Structure in general, and then some side quests that are just not good. Also, uh, as Eric and I had talked about before recording, when you get into the later half of the game, maybe later 25%, they start chucking out huge swaths of side quests in between main quests to where if you're somebody who wants to do them, it's going to feel so drawn out. From a main quest to completing the side quest to the next main quest they didn't parcel them out very well it's like which and, might
1: have solved some of the like ten, the tunnel problem at the beginning with true the, yeah i don't know but you like, would have had to have narratively selected which ones you were going to do yeah to make it not feel like weird weird pacing but it definitely had a lot like normally between main quests you would have like three side quests pop up or something but yeah. the last like several major events of the game it's like oh look here's 10 new ones
0: yeah where if it could have just did like maybe four or five between main quests from the beginning all the way to the end, it would have made it would have felt more natural. But yeah, so I mean, there's a combination of yeah a lot of cutscenes, some quest structure issues, but I think that's kind of for the most part where my issues lie to bring that down from a ten. Um, the music was a ten out of ten. I mean, one of the best soundtracks.
1: I just did a chef's kiss gesture as though you could
0: see me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because we're looking at ourselves on the camera. Uh, But the the soundtrack was a 10 out of 10. The writing was damn near a 10 out of 10. Uh, The graphics and production values, 10 out of 10. The characters, the story um, were all a 10 out of 10. Uh, One of the features that, if anyone's watched reviews, they've already heard about that Eric and I were very impressed with is they have this thing called Active Time Lore, and the best way I can describe it, I described this to Josh the other day, is if you guys have ever used Amazon Prime, when you pause Amazon Prime, it'll bring up at the bottom where you know your, your bar is and the Amazon pause button. Amazon
1: X-Ray, I think is what it's called. Amazon
0: X-Ray or whatever. It'll say, hey, there's three people on screen. Here's the three actors. Here's their names. And it'll point out on screen who they are. You take that and you combine it with Mass Effect's codex. And in, in Mass Effect, you have this codex, which like gives you a deep dive on all the things going in on the universe. Well... Final Fantasy 16 has this thing called active time lore. Any time in the game uh, during a cutscene, you can press the touchpad and it'll bring up this active time lore, which will say, okay, on the screen right now you're seeing these two characters, this land that they're, that they're at, and what they're talking about will all come up on the screen. And you can pause the game and go, okay, let me learn about this character, let me learn about this character, let me learn about the weapon he's holding, and let me learn about the place that they're talking about and the place they're in. So it lets you have a full, like, grasp of this world in the moment. And then on top of that, you have this character named Tomes, which keeps track of all the history for you to follow at any time. And then you have, is it Vivian? Vivian, yeah. Vivian, who will keep track of the cast of characters, how they relate to each other. That's Okay. Uh, how they relate to each other and then also like the battles of, on the map and what country or what uh, cities are at war with yeah, each other. Yeah, and they
1: represented, they did a good job of representing it in multiple ways because you have the active time lore, which is just convenient, right? Like, yeah. oh, they're in the middle of a conversation about Sandbrek and I can't mm-hmm. remember which one, which of these countries is Sanbreck. Yeah. So let me check and it'll you know remind me in that moment. But the the character Harpocrates or Tomes keeps written records of everything, but then Vivian's records are very visual. Mm-hmm. You have like the grand cast where you go can go see a web of any of the characters and their relationships and you can adjust it by year. Like you can go yeah. back to the beginning it's of the very game. Very in depth. And it'll be like this is the relationship these characters had at this time and you scoot it up and oh this is the relationship they had at that time. Or And then on the opposite side, there's a map called the State of the Realm. And I know know that's what the – I think it's called State of the Realm. Um, And it will show you, like, all the different countries and, like, where their armies are at. And you can adjust that one by time also and see how things are being affected. So I thought it was really accessible and interesting that they chose to do both a standard written version and a really visual version for people who are more visual.
0: Yeah, so I mean there, there pretty much is no way you're going to get lost in this world. Because for those of you that don't know, um, the director of this game had his entire staff watch the first four seasons of Game of Thrones to get them in the headspace for what he was aiming for with this game. And what's so interesting about it is if you're someone who hasn't played the game or has never planned to play the game or maybe you're early in on the game, you'll notice many places saying, oh, this game's just straight up Final Fantasy Game of Thrones or uh, "You know, this is the best Game of Thrones game out there. And on one hand, there's some truth to that. But for the most part, I'd say that's inaccurate. Yeah. The truth to that is the opening of this game, the, the methodology of creating the world and, and how the world kind of like the structure of the game is definitely Game of Thrones. The opening of the game is Game of Thrones. There's moments scattered throughout the game that remind you of Game of Thrones. Like there's a character called Goots who's basically Hodor. Uh, the way the game opens up with I think like you
1: can only compare him to Hodor because he's big.
0: <laughs> he's big and he's big and he's kind and he is not very smart. That's basically Hodor. I mean I think it's clear the inspiration there. I mean the opening is like you know in Game of Thrones, if you watch Game of Thrones, like the opening is like a a, a good family that's kind of torn apart and then it sets the events in motion. That's kind of the things that happen here. But other than the opening and the general structure methodology of the story uh, it's very, it's Final Fantasy. I mean, it's it's much more Final Fantasy than it is Game of Thrones. Obviously, they got inspiration to Game of Thrones to set this world up, but it's Final Fantasy all the way through. It's silly, it's goofy. You have Moogles, Chocobos. Uh, you have giant, like, summon icon battles. They call summons icons in this game. Crazy things are happening. It's ridiculous. Um, but I'll it's second. a very good amalgamation yeah, of I'll the s- two. I'll
1: second that as someone who, like, like watched... Game of Thrones like really intensely the first time I watched it but then kind of soured on it later because I looked back and went I don't think anything about this was like redemptive it's just miserable Mm. people in a miserable world becoming more miserable yeah this is so Um, much more this is so much better oh my I like because we started the game and we were just still in the demo part which is just the first couple hours and I said this is like Game of Thrones light except I can tell that the themes are more redemptive and as it once we kind of got out of that opening area, it became so Final Fantasy. Like, I don't know if that was intentional to set up the world or intentional to appeal to fans who are maybe not, especially like coming to this for the Final Fantasy factor. Um, But uh, by the time we got a a, a decent way into the game, I said, this is so Final Fantasy. I retract my overly Game of Thrones statement um it's just
0: well i think the, the director said that he wanted to return the series to its roots in medieval fantasy and i think he looked at what was most relevant in doing it the best at the time and i think development of this started in 2016 which was like literally the peak of hype or maybe just before the peak of hype of game of thrones so he probably looked to that and said this is a, a great way to kind of bring us back to that setting um but yeah uh, what do you what do you think about the combat erica because my my opinion of the combat is For what their goal was, which is obviously let's make this an action-based game rather than turn-based, you know, typical Final Fantasy stuff. For their goal of making it action-based, I think they knocked out of the park 10-10 on the combat as well. It's up to you whether that's the kind of combat you wanted or if it was, you know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I think what they went for, though. I
1: think that's fair. Like, I think they they accomplished the goals that they seemed to have for the combat system. Um, I love a turn-based game, but I also love a melee-driven game. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not a, I've played a lot of Final Fantasy games, but I'm not a super purist on it, it has to be turn-based. So I didn't mind that. Um, there were a few things that were like interesting choices to me. I understand why they did it, but like there's no uh, elemental sensitivity in this game. Normally mm-hmm. in a Final Fantasy game, if I'm fighting a thunder enemy, a thunder-based enemy, and I cast lightning on them, they absorb it. they And it is health to them. Uh, and, 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 And vice versa, like if I am attack a lightning based enemy with I think I think water is the opposite of of lightning in Final Fantasy. Um, do damage. Yeah, it would do more severe yeah. damage, um, so that that's not a thing in this. So you can attack with any element or be attacked by any element, and the change—it's uh, not sensitive to what the what the creature is made of. So that was a little different. Sometimes I'm like, oh good, I don't—I can hit this bomb with my fire and it won't matter. But also sometimes I'm like, this is a machine. Yeah, I should be able to destroy it with electricity. Uh, but. So that was an interesting choice. Um, it's the most in terms approachable of, game. Yeah, in, in terms of stepping away from mm. some normal Final Fantasy things. Uh, I loved, this is tiny, and we didn't talk about this before. I loved all the names of the enemies, um, mm. especially ones that were related to quests. They would give, so like some things are typical in Final Fantasy, like the various flans are always named after different desserts, things like that. That was present, but also just like some random little dudes had that were involved in quests just had hilarious names. There was a part where we went to the hot springs and had to destroy bomb enemies that yeah. were making the hot springs too hot. And their names were like bath bomb. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. It's got the,
0: they kept the final yeah, fantasy silliness. Yeah, in there. But it yeah. was,
1: but it was hidden. It wasn't, it, it did not have the type of, like Final Fantasy silliness and humor that I would see in like, say 10 or 12 or something yeah. or seven. But I think they kind of had it underneath there a little bit. Um, there was, oh man, there was a, there was an enemy named Spring-Heeled Jock, mm. which if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with that story, Brian, Probably but that not. was a, there was a rumored monster serial killer. They're not sure. Uh, called Spring-Heeled Jack mm. in, uh, Victorian England, who was uh, pursued unsuccessfully by the Duke of Wellington, and um, that was that was a fun reference. There were a lot of little like literary references and things coming up in like names of quests and names of um, enemies and things that I just appreciate. This game was super well Engli- thought. I'm an English teacher.
0: Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> this game was super well thought out. Um, the uh, what, do, what do you think of like the skill tree? So like for basically, you have the, the action based combat. You don't have summons like you would picture from Final Fantasy Seven or whatnot. You don't have turn-based combat, but what you have is a RPG kind of skill tree where it's on your left trigger, you can have up to three different icons at a time, which are three different summons. So you have, like, let's say you have Ifrit, Ifrit, and uh, Bahamut, and Shiva. Each summon, you get their abilities, and you can choose which abilities you want for them. And then while you're playing, when you're fighting you can change the icon with the left trigger and get all their abilities to use to intermix with your regular combat. So it gave you the option when you're getting your skill points to choose what abilities you want, which ones to upgrade, which ones to mix and match. And then the nice thing was at any time you could reset them and start new ones again. And of course as you play through the game, you're getting new icons, new summons to get new abilities. And then on top of that you have like your, your different gear and your different trinkets that affect your, your skills and stuff like that as well. So. I, f- I found the abilities to be super satisfying because once you get everything kitted out the way you want, you're just, you're just constantly, like, s- doing action moves and slashing in combat and then cycling out your different cooldowns. Like, I'm going to use this ability, this ability, this ability, this ability. Okay, this ability's coming back. I'm going to use that. Then I'm going to use my limit break. I thought it was super awesome. I mean, it definitely was a streamlined experience compared to, like, older Final Fantasies. Mm-hmm. Very approachable for people, but did you have any problems with it? Or did you I just mean, like I think
1: it? that it it was definitely satisfying is a good word because like cycling through like the skills that you like um, as they cool down, you're like, oh, I'm gonna annihilate this guy, I'm gonna take this guy out, and then I'm gonna plant it. This so there's a little bit of strategy yeah. involved still because you have to be thinking about how much time you're gonna have in between these attacks, which ones you should do in which order. Um, some attacks cause you to heal a little bit as you're using them, so you might use those more strategically. Uh, I will say that and this might have to do with more with me as a player than anything else but I pretty much had the skills that I would use for the whole game pretty early on yeah we like tried there, other stuff but we went back to yeah the- it mm-hmm. might just be that I am stuck in my ways and I don't want to do uh, I don't want to learn how to use some of these different abilities effectively or maybe like we were discussing one of the one of the icons that you acquire late in the game that like, it did a lot of damage, but it also took more time to do. And we were like, ah, the risk-reward ratio yeah. is not worth it to me. Uh, so I I mostly stuck with the first three icons I got. And then one of them I slotted out later. And that was it. Like, I, I got to the end of the game and I, I looked at... Or I'm at the end of the game and I looked at Brian and I said, I have completely maxed out every ability that I actually use. Yeah. So, like, my, my ability points are going nowhere. Because, I mean, I could buy these other things, but...
0: Just to mix um, up the gameplay, if you wanted. Yeah, if, you, if I, I mean,
1: wanted to, right? Yeah. Like, if I were mm-hmm. a different player and I want and I and I wanted to cycle through those things, that was to- that would be fine. But like, I just didn't, and I didn't need to. And also because you can reset everything, and you don't have to reset the whole tree like you do in some games. You can reset individual, individual abilities. Yeah, that's really nice. So sometimes I would be like, oh, we got a new icon. I'm gonna reset this icon and swap in this new one with it maxed out and see how I like it. And if I don't like it, I'll just go back and yeah. you know, no harm, no foul.
0: Okay, what would you think of the, the, the world design? So, like, a lot of games nowadays are open world. This is more what they call, like, hub world design, where there's areas in the game that feel very open. It doesn't feel... I mean, I'd say more often than not, the game feels linear, and that's by design, but there's plenty of areas that feel wide open, and you can explore a bit. I personally would compare it somewhere between the original Fable and Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, Dragon Age Inquisition had extremely it's like dragon Age: inquisition was not open world but the areas that it had were so extremely huge it felt open world that's not how this game is and then you have fable which had like interconnected areas but they were so small and so linear this is between there where it's like it's like fable where it's like interconnected areas that are linear but they're wide linear they're very big big spots uh for me this was a relief coming off of so many open world games how did you like it, Erica? And then also, is there a Final Fantasy prior you've played that is familiar to this, like in the world design?
1: Um I liked I liked uh, how accessible the, the they're called obelisks, the like waypoints in the game. Yeah, were. travel so destinations. You can travel fast travel. Um, I liked I liked that. I do think I love an open world. I really love an open world. Super I open appreciated world. that the areas a lot of them were quite large and felt very open. Um, but there were also plenty of times where I'm like, you know, I might have just walked from here to here and fought everything in the way, but the game will not allow me to do that. Some places are interconnected and you can do that. But it's like, no, you must fast travel from here to here and then proceed. Yeah, it's um, a little
0: weird like that. So that's yeah.
1: a little weird sometimes. Um final fantasies i would compare it to i mean i
0: kind of i do kind of think a 7 remake except there's like it's almost all linear 7 remake
1: yeah and you can't it. always go to locations you want to go to this one 16 sometimes sometimes prevents you from traveling to like it'll be like oh you have to go straight to this destination to carry on the main quest but a lot of the time all of the hubs are open and you can kind of go wherever yeah. seven remake i think is more linear than that it's a lot hard i yeah. remember once i was so annoyed i was walking through Walmart market and there was like an item off to the right and i wanted to go get it and it was like, return to the quest area. And I was like, I don't want to return to the quest area.
0: I yeah. want that treasure. But when when you're in a linear section in 16, it feels like, to me, exactly the same as a linear section 7 remake. Okay. When you're when you're in the because, moment. Because it's hallways. Yeah, I mean, yeah. basically. I mean, it, it feels like that.
1: Yeah, me. they're fun. They're well-designed yeah. hallways. Like, I don't necessarily I prefer this
0: to open that. world, personally. You say you prefer um, open world, though? I think I prefer yeah.
1: open world, but this is this is a close second. It like, feels it's, like... It's not so... It's not more meaningful
0: get, than 15, yeah, I feel like. Yeah,
1: after you get past that... Open section, or that opening section. That the first ten hours was all so su- super linear. Yeah. After that, I think it's it's pretty good. Um, yeah. Before that, I was frustrated about not being able to go where I wanted, not being at liberty to play more um, because of all the cutscenes and all of the like forced progression. But the the bulk of the game, I would say, I felt pretty good about. Yeah. The world design.
0: Okay, so let's get to. Uh, we're kind of saving the story for last. I mean, this is all spoiler stuff, but the big spoilers would be the story stuff. Uh, the characters and the voice acting. I mean... Oh my gosh, stellar. They're, they're, the The list of characters that we like is so long. Like, obviously, you have your heavy hitters at the top, which is like Clive, Jill, Sid, you know, stuff like that. But then you have, like, Blackthorn, the blacksmith. You have, like, Karen, the general store kind of kind of lady. Um, basically, everyone in your, like, hub, which is called the hideaway, all have personalities, all have... Usually have a quest line associated with them at some point if you do it. Um... You have quests for, or, or your characters from other kingdoms like uh, Dion. Um, oh, what's uh, what's Titan guy's name again? Kupka? Koop, Kupka. Hugo Kupka. Hugo Kupka. Uh, Benedicta in the beginning plays a big role. I feel
1: like Benedicta, just as a side note, like I thought she was going to be more important than she was.
0: <laughs> yeah, she was kind of a early like pawn of everything. <laughs> like I don't think she even knew anything about Ultima. Also, the villain. Ultima is the villain. He's like basically like a god character that kind of created everything and is trying it's to Final fantasy it's <laughs> trying to wipe uh i mean you end up finding out he's trying to pretty pretty much reboot earth by removing all the humanity I and mean, there's more to it than that obviously we can get to that but uh i thought the voice acting was impeccable the writing was impeccable i don't think there was a single character that i hate sometimes when we watch a show or a movie or play a game erica will go i hate him i hate him she never did that i once. didn't
1: have- that during the, that. I didn't realize that until you said that just not now. There was time. nobody that I was like I hate him. Yeah. Though I did um, there were a couple of people I compared to Joffrey. Oh that little kid. Mm. No I said that about that little kid in the side quest who was using his pet wolf to kill bearers.
0: Oh yeah. All I hated all, him. There's this whole section in the game. I mean it's not that big really but like you go it's through. It's like two little side quests. You go through this hub area kind of called uh, Royal Meadows and there's a couple quests there that just show how horrible uh, basically this, the equivalent of like slaves in this game are treated. Um, which is, there's this whole thing with like I don't want to want to go too far into it, but like, there's this whole thing with like
1: magic users are slaves in the empire.
0: Yeah, magic users are slaves, and then there's special magic users who are called dominants who can like literally do the summons, turn into the summons you know from prior Final Fantasies. But uh, I mean, I think you know I don't want to speak for you, but I think uh, our favorite characters are, are probably Clive, Jill, and Sid, and Torgal, right? And Joshua, That's, and Joshua, yeah. And then you have, uh, Uncle Byron. I love
1: Uncle Byron. Which was,
0: there's, there's great, he like, He comp- like a
1: surprise hitter because yeah. he was like, he I love, He felt like he
0: came out of nowhere. And I then, loved yeah. the
1: characters that like really humanized yeah. them and didn't, and just kind of came out. Uncle Byron is Clive and Joshua's uncle who has thought that they were dead for all of these years. Yeah. And when he, I love, I watched it twice. The scene where Clive is reunited with Byron and Byron doesn't believe that he is who he says he is because it's been like 20 years that so he's prove thought it that Clive him. said. So Clive, without any warning, starts acting out this like tableau and reciting this stuff that sounds like Shakespeare, right? It's not, but it sounds like it. And then Byron is like... Chuck Hughes? He, yeah. and, he, and he starts reciting it too. And he realizes, you realize, oh, this is a, a play that he used to act out with his uncle when he was a child. Yeah. And only the real Clive would know that. Yeah. And it was so precious and I loved it.
0: I mean, all, all the characters are good. Like characters. I don't
1: like Lubor. He annoys me.
0: Lubor. Which one was that? He's
1: the desert hare.
0: Oh, in the Dalla kind of did they the kind of like they wanted to be mayor of the town. Yeah, he's
1: like really obnoxiously arrogant at he's first. He's okay. And then yeah. la- later later he, he suddenly becomes nice. I don't know. Like he was he annoyed me. Yeah. He just, he he, <sighs> he he was, he
0: was... But if he's the worst, he's still pretty... I mean, compared, that's pretty good for being yeah. the worst in the game. But then uh, you have,
1: like, little side characters like Theo, who it's like, oh, man, that hit me in the fields, and in the fields, and I did not know that was going to happen to me. I
0: don't think there's a single side character that just felt bad. Like, every side character I met that I thought, oh, this person's going to mean nothing, they ended up meaning something. Like, mm-hmm. you get to, like, this... You get to this one character named Isabel, who is, like, the... the kind of the matron figure yeah. of this brothel, so... She's the madam. Yeah, you, you go into this town where there's this brothel with, obviously, you know, what's transpiring there with all these women. You think, eh, this is probably going to be kind of like an icky side quest or kind of be, be kind of like, do we really need this in the game? But it doesn't really focus too much on the, the gruesome. Like, if this was Game of Thrones, it would go all in on that stuff. But it was mostly just like, yeah, these are what these women are doing here. And this is what, you know, the the men of the town are, are frequenting and stuff like that. But then you meet the the leader, kind of this, uh, Isabel. And if you do all the side quests for her, like, she has a really strong arc and good characters, good good character interactions and story there. So, I mean, honestly, all the writing and the world building and the characters, the voice act, everything in this game, production values was so high. Uh, I mean, Sid, Sid was like the standout in the game, and then he dies like, I don't know, 15 hours in, and then the next 45 hours of the game, he's not there. And it felt like he'd leave such a, like, gaping hole that couldn't be replaced, but then all the rest of the cast just steps it up so much that you... Yeah.
1: And, like, his presence is so yeah. heavy in the yeah. game because they're all, like, we're we're fighting for what Sid wanted. Yeah. We are carrying on Sid's legacy. Yeah. And it was actually... Because, like, I expected Sid to die because he was a standout character in the way he was but wasn't the main character. I was like, oh, he's not going to survive this game. Yeah. He's going to die. Um, and he did. But and there was also, like, right after his death, there was a time jump that we weren't expecting. Yeah. And even in the five-year time jump that happens right after his death, like, his presence was still very strong. His
0: presence was felt to the end of the game. It was.
1: You know, he was there without him actually making a lot of physical appearances, like in memories or anything after that, his presence is still really strong, and they they executed that really
0: well. For for the Halo fans listening, he's very much a Sergeant Johnson character. Like, I don't know how much you've seen overhand, Erica, but, like, Sergeant Johnson, he constantly has a cigar, makes jokes, and he's a badass. That's Mm -hmm. kind of what yeah. Sid Sid, Sid, Sid is the
1: best Final Fantasy Sid. Like this we, is the best we Sid. We very yeah. very quickly said this Sid best Sid. Yeah
0: it didn't take long at all. It didn't take long at all. Uh, what do you think about, I mean we kind of touched on it a little bit but like what do you think of the boss battles? I think the boss battles in this game are incredible and I think they're a standout. It's funny that we came from, and I don't know how, how aware of this you are Erica, but there's this whole era of gaming where people hated the dreaded QTEs, quick time event. Tap square to do move. Well those have come back here, and like they're called like cinematic flares, kind of. They'll it, happen in big battles where it's like, oh, this is going to be a really impressive scene, but you're just going to tap square or you're going to press one button to dodge. But ultimately, really flashy, really bombastic um, boss fights. I mean, there's a point where you're – I mean, you're looking at this game from the outside. It's like a medieval fantasy game. There's a point where you're fighting in space with wings. It's insane. But, I mean, th- the moment for me where I was just like – I think, oddly enough – I don't even know if they would say it's the biggest fight in the game, but the, the moment that blew me away the most was the Titan fight because you are literally like you're this giant creature and you're running like super fast towards this creature that's 20 times the size of you. And it's playing this crazy music. that doesn't even feel like it's from Final Fantasy. I felt like it was Sonic the Hedgehog and you're, you're, you're running towards this boss and you're dodging stuff and you're climbing up him and you're on, on his hand and you're trying to fight him. And the scale is insane. The music's insane it really takes you to a place. The adrenaline's there. Uh, I loved it. What are your thoughts on the bosses, here? So I have
1: more mixed feelings on that. So on, like the thing you're referring to with Titan, I I really like that from a creative aspect. Like they're taking a different angle. Like, oh, whoa, we just we're playing uh, we're playing Crash Bandicoot now. Like what what just happened? Because we're dodging things, we're running. Yeah. I thought that that was an interesting uh, take on the traditional boss fight. Um, I didn't need the cinematic evasions and cinematic strikes and things. Um,
0: didn't need them, but I did kind of like, uh, like, like them. Like they were
1: like from a technical aspect, extremely impressive, yeah. extremely impressive. But like to me, I'm like this is just making this fight take longer, making this game cost more money.
0: That could be part of your and negative for the score not being ten. Then
1: yeah, because yeah. I remember especially at the beginning, like the first time we had a fight like that, I was like, which was in that early ten hours, I was like, I do not need this.
0: Mm-hmm. This is
1: this is this is too much. I don't need this. Um now very visually impressive and there's such a like the the immense powers of the icons are so fundamentally important to the plot that I'm like, okay, fair that that we're spending some time on this so'll mm. I'll give it that. Um, I don't feel like I can take away points for mm-hmm. those boss battles um because they are extremely impressive. I just don't think I needed it.
0: Before the game came out I thought I I mean, I thought they looked gimmicky because like, they, they kept marketing like, oh, you're going to have these huge icon battles. I'm like, never have I played a Final Fantasy and thought what I want to do is take control of the summons and fight them together. Like To me, it's like I, I want to be you know, Cloud. I want to be Squall, I want to be whatever. But you're but,
1: both. You're Clive but you, and Ifrit. You
0: are the main character and you are the summon and these moments really do pay off and they're not corny or tacked on at all. They're really well done.
1: Though Ifrit might drop an F-bomb. Yeah, I, having a, a, a
0: giant Fire Monster Man summon... Yelling f bombs with like elongated like f u u u u u u u u u u u u c k is <laughs> kind of uh, it's kind of hilarious. Um, okay, let's let's finally t- tackle the story, Erica. Um, I'll just kind of give a base setup and kind of let you go away with it. But like the game's opening for me is just like it's not one to one, but I'm like it's one to one Game of Thrones. Like this just feels like season one of Game of Thrones when the game starts off. But if you play the demo, which is free, you can play now. Whatever the demo. I mean, I don't want to go about this. Like, Game of Thrones, you know, it kind of introduces you to, like, the Kingdom of Winterfell, and here's, you know, Sean Bean as the, as the father, and Ned Stark and this great guy, and here are his kids, and this kid's love, this kid's not. They get their wolves, you get the dog, you know, all this stuff. It's all just like that. There's yeah, a frost wolf. From, from, it's just like Game of Thrones, Um, And then, of course, you know how that kind of ends, like, you know, season one of Game of Thrones, Ned Stark gets his head chopped off, the kids are spread out, things have gone wrong, the kingdom's kind of in disarray, that's what happens here, but the kind of conclusive moment to the opening of uh, this game is uh, your main character turns into his summon, his icon, and his little brother turns into his summon, his icon, and they're in a fight, and they don't really, like... They're, make, not,
1: they're not in control of themselves. They're not in
0: control of themselves, really. And what ends up happening as the demo comes to a close, or the first two hours of the game, if you're just playing the full game, is you apparently, in gameplay, you accidentally murder your brother, your little brother, um, by not being able to control your, your summon, your your icon, yourself. And that's kind of how the demo ended. It's like, oh my gosh, I want to see what happens next. So that's kind of how it sets you up, right? And then you go into this whole, you know, the first, like I said, first, the following eight hours, so the first ten hours of the game it's really cinematic. You, you're 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 branded and you're kind of being used as a, as a slave fighter for the Imperials or whatever. And you get out of that, and the character Sid comes in and takes you under his wing and gets you to the hideaway, and you kind of you become this outlaw and that's reunited
1: with your childhood sweetheart, sort of. Re, yeah,
0: reunited with your childhood sweetheart, and you're you kind of begin this outlaw journey, and that's kind of the whole setup. And there's a little arc there with Sid that that's where the the kind of 10-15 hours. Concludes, And then you get into what's the rest of the game. And the rest of the game is very much, hey, there's these mother crystals around the world. We need to destroy them because they're spreading blight all over the land. They're ruining people's lives. Uh, they're causing this—I mean, they're, they're tied to this problem with slavery in the game directly. We've kind of touched on it a bit, but there's more of that. But basically, you know, I'm going to hand it over to Erica. The whole meat of the game is going to these kingdoms, fighting these other summons, destroying these crystals, and trying to make the world— a better place through removing these threats and these crystals, and it comes to this ultimate conclusion where you have to fight this godlike, basically a god, a deity that has created the world who wants to basically remove humanity from the world for his own gain. And I mean, I'm very much simplifying it, just like Game of Thrones. There's a lot of story here, a lot of characters, a lot of intertwining po- politics, turmoil. It is like Game of Thrones, where it's de- Game of Thrones, where it's dense and it's it's very. It deserves the respect to play it all, to experience it all. I'm really boiling it down to just, like, very very bland in a sense. But you're destroying these Mother Crystals. You're fighting these kingdoms, these leaders, these titans. uh, And it comes down to this, you know, otherworldly kind of godly conclusion. God versus God type of conclusion. But, uh, I don't know, Erica, take it away wherever you want Uh, to take it. I
1: feel like I'll caveat off of that. If you're not someone who is interested in or even dislikes Game of Thrones... Don't let that turn you off from oh, this game. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, because it's more I Final think, Fantasy. Yeah, it is. I think that they're... Especially with the, probably the free demo, the opening section, I feel like they're probably appealing to that particular slice the of the The demo
0: is Game of Thrones. Of the
1: fantasy yeah. audience. But the game as a whole is definitely very Final Fantasy. If you're not interested in Game of Thrones, or even if you dislike Game of Thrones, I would still say this is a Final Fantasy game. Also, Give
0: it a shot. And before you continue on, to go to Erica's like point about like Game of Thrones isn't redemptive and this is, to me... Like, I like a little more edginess and things than Erica does. So, like, while I'm Erica's. What's that?
1: I'm a prude. Yeah.
0: So, while Erica's never going to really like to see someone's face beat into a pulp or someone's naked backsides, I don't so much mind that. Where my problem with Game of Thrones is it took it way too far. Full on nudity, full on soft pornography, um, uh, lots of incest is in Game of Thrones. There's a zero incest in this game. There is zero full nudity. There's there's some uh, there's a few scenes where you're like like I said naked backside maybe top of a of a, of your main character's butt crack, but there's not full nudity. There's no incest. There is like cussing, but it's nowhere near as egregious. I mean, no, there's, there's no there's a lot of f bombs. There is a lot, but I, I think there's less than Game of Thrones. Is uh, there? First, I would I, would I
1: would say yeah. just for like amount of time on screen spent fighting, it's probably well I
0: worse. guess. The, Okay, I, get, I mean there's quite a bit of but, cussing but
1: just for cussing. The like the grossness of the nature of the language. Yeah. Way worse than Game of Thrones.
0: Way worse than Game of Thrones. So what I'm trying to say is is that the redemptive themes are so much higher and for me as someone who likes a little bit of edginess but didn't want the, the egregiousness of Game of Thrones, this is a spot a good spot to land in. This is like I would have been so happy if Game of Thrones only went this far. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's but back yeah, over and to And like you.
1: for Game yeah. the theme of Game of Thrones is basically even everyone, even good people, will do terrible things for power. Everyone sucks. Everyone's terrible. And that's not that. what this game is. And the is. world's terrible and it's never going to get better. Yeah. In Final Fantasy sixteen these people don't fight just for power or just for themselves. It's very much a, we're fighting for each other. We're fighting to defend the people that we love. Um, man, the characters. There was just, there was bromance and romance and there was a good pupper and all kinds of stuff. I loved it.
0: Lots of good um, friendships.
1: So much, so many good like, friendships. This
0: had like the Kingdom Hearts like power of friendship thing without ever getting corny or written. saying that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um.
1: One thing that I thought about as you were talking that I haven't really articulated before is that I'm pretty sure at least to my limited knowledge. Cause as I said, I did not follow the marketing for this game. I was like, Oh, new final fantasy title day one. Don't need to know. Uh, but I think this was kind of marketed as a revenge story. Like this is, this is a person we're following several stages of this person's life. Like at different chunks of the story, your main character, Clive is at one point he's 15. He's 28 for part of it. And then like 33 ish for part of it. Um, and I had had the understanding that this was going to be a game that followed a man's revenge story, like throughout the course of his life. The revenge thing really wraps up in the first act.
0: No, I mean he, they presented him in trailers and stuff. The main character, Clive Rosfield, as an kind of an edge lord, like you know, long black hair kind of sweeping over the eyes. I'm full of rage and full of anger. Get this big
1: face scar or this big tattoo on my face, depending on what t- point of life it is. And you
0: play the game, and that's not the case oh, man. at all. He's he, so kind. He's he's even like he's even. I'm not saying that Cloud is like this known kind character in the world of gaming, but like Cloud's kind to an extent. Mm-hmm. Clive puts him to shame, and oh, yeah, like, I easy. think that like,
1: so Clive, you know, th- it does start out as a revenge thing, like because he thinks someone has murdered his brother. Yeah. He does not realize that a, his brother is not dead and B it was himself. It was himself. The second icon, the second dominant of fire is himself. But by the end of the first act of the game, he realizes I, I am the man and he, he still thinks his brother is dead at this point. And he has to, he sets out on this journey to help other people because he feels he has to atone for his sins. Um, even though it was an accident and he wasn't even self-aware enough to know that he had done this. Um, but
0: not to that, mention, no one in the universe even knows it's possible that he can be a, yeah. an icon or a summoner. Yeah, there's
1: only supposed to be one dominant of fire, and there are two, yeah. and that's not supposed to happen anyway. Um, so it wasn't that. It was it wasn't really a revenge story it was it it is like a an atonement kind of story like this character making feels, the world
0: a better place is kind of yeah how I feel like about we it.
1: need to be allowed to live on our own terms is something that they say all the time living and dying on our own terms instead of being enslaved people being treated forced. as equals yeah you know. I shouldn't have to live and die on your terms Um But which it's a final fantasy game, it's a lot about free will and a lot about choice and a lot about facing your fate, defying fate or defying or overthrowing false gods. Like, that's that's always a thing in final fantasies. Um, but I think that I, one thing that I, I think I don't know why I don't know why Cloud keeps being the one that Clive is getting compared to, unless it's just out of like people love Cloud. Wait, uh,
0: well, I think I think people are saying we have a clear contender for main character that is. As good, right? because yeah. you've always had people who are like, "Oh, I love day and I love Squall," but it's always been it's always been so heavily weighed yeah. towards Cloud. So, you
1: know? so Clive, you know, Cl- Cloud has like a kind of secret awkward sweetness or kindness that's buried under his little, you know, edge lordiness. But Clive has genuine kindness and chivalry like by by the nature of it being a more medieval story and he's a noble he's very chivalrous which gives him a sort of edge in kindness and doing good for people that cloud just by nature of the type of character he is Mm. isn't gonna have um so he was extremely endearing. I, when I really love a male character, I'm always like, he's my son. She does. She
0: does and do that. Yeah.
1: frequently, instead of yelling, I hate him. I didn't say I hate him in this game, but I said he's my son. Oh,
0: yeah. like I love him so I much. I love
1: him so much.
0: I mean, he would just be like, you'd be like, end of the world circumstances where everything's going wrong, and somebody would be like, you know, I really need help with like, there's no, there's no food this season, and, and the whole town is going to starve if we don't gather up some grains or whatever, and then Clive would just be like. I'd be more than happy to lend a hand and be like, oh, I love him.
1: I love him. And he's like everybody's therapist. Like, Clive actually should just retire from being Sid the Outlaw and become a licensed therapist. He's
0: easily one of, if not the best, protagonists in Final Fantasy. He really does give Cloud a run for his money. He's great. Um, Back on the story, though, and and moving more I mean, we don't want to cover every story bit because we'll be here forever. But, like, moving towards how it sums up. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you think there? I'll let you kind of go first. Man,
1: so I was really afraid that you should know about me that I am very good at predicting what will happen in a story. Um, partly just from consuming a lot of stories and partly from studying, story story craft. But like I, I was like, Oh, Sid's totally going to die, Josh was going to die, but not until the end. Um, this character will live this character, probably not. But I was like, I don't know if Clive's going to make it or not. I want Clive to live. I think this story would be fine if Clive lived, but it's entirely possible that they'll kill him. And we got to the end and he sure looked dead and yeah. i was very very sad and unhappy about that there's a
0: little wiggle room yeah. that he might not be dead but i think it's very clear first and foremost what they want to get across is that he died and 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 of course you know without getting into every little detail but he he basically sacrificed himself to give the entire planet like a future yeah. and, a, and a good a future where there's no slavery and there's no like uh, hard times, and... and we
1: get to see that in like the post-credit scene. We get to see um, a, a Valastia that is clearly, and he mentioned this earlier in the game, that it might take many, many generations for the world to to write itself again. And we see um, a world that, so far in the future, these children are playing, and the world is green again, and they are playing icon battles and their mom's like oh you're playing at those fairy tales again like they're it's so long ago they're not even sure that it happened really
0: which means clive's goal has been accomplished yeah you know
1: but we see the the story that they're getting it from is called final fantasy by joshua Rosfield. so we're like well did Joshua survive? Did Clive bring yeah. him back to life? Obviously and obviously, kill himself? Or are they both alive? We don't know.
0: People listening to this either played the game themselves and know what we're talking about, or they don't care, and they're just kind of trying to keep up with us despite us throwing all this terminology to them. But the game, you know... I'm
1: operating under the assumption that you've played.
0: Well, I mean, some people... I know there'll be people probably like Diente who will come in here and they'll just just—they'll just listen to it because they want to hear us talk and be like, yeah, that sounds like a lot of stuff going on, but, uh, you know... But um, the game basically concludes with, you know... Clive and his brother Joshua and this character Dion going off to fight was essentially the last remaining God that created this universe, created humanity. It's, this God had uh, evil me evil intentions of why he he only created humanity to serve a purpose for an eventuality it wasn't because you know like he wanted to create them for his yeah, own. He was good just or gonna something.
1: let all of humanity die after yeah. he achieved what he wanted.
0: So they go to this this uh, it's called origin, but it's almost like a crystal in the sky. And they go to take on this godlike being and and fight him and you know of course there's huge bombastic fight, but it leads to Joshua dying, and Clive using his will to overcome this god and then eventually defeat this god and then use the power to destroy the what is essentially yeah, he kind absorbs
1: of, the god's power. He
0: absorbs the god's power and uses all of his ability to destroy essentially what is the last remnants of what magic will be in this world because magic is what's causing all these problems anywhere from the blight crossing covering the land to the the, the, the dichotomy of the slavery and the yeah, masters the power imbalance. uh the power imbalance so he makes a sacrifice and and the game ends with him uh lying on the beach and and apparently turning to stone which is what happens when someone uses magic too much and if he turns to stone he essentially it appears that he's dying. Of course, we haven't even talked about how much we. This is like our favorite romance in all of video uh, gaming. Uh, Jill and Clive have the sweetest romance in the so game. Sweet. It's very loving. It's very endearing. It's it's, it's like it's like a kind it's of so pure. It's a kind of romance on screen that you're like, yeah, I want a marriage like that. Like you could you could. It's not just like this. Oh, we met in a bar and we're hot for each other. It was like a very endearing, loving romance. Uh, me and Erica were just blown away by it. We love the couple, <laughs> and it made the ending so sad because like Jill was just like, I love you. Come back to me. And she's crying in the end, and, and and Clive didn't come back. He he died saving the world. As far as so, we know. As far as we know. He might be alive. There's things that could, could point to him potentially being alive. <laughs> final but... Fantasy,
1: like, my, my takeaway is they want us to think that he's dead. But Final Fantasy is notorious for ambiguous character deaths in the end of games. Um, I won't say which ones, because Brian has not played several of, final, of the Final Fantasy mainline titles that I have played. But there are Final Fantasies where, like, oh this character's dead. And then the end credit scene leads you to believe, well, maybe they're dead, but maybe they're alive. Yeah. Or the end credit scene makes you think, oh yeah, they're definitely alive or just different things. It happens multiple times in different series. Um, or not in different series, in different installments in the series. But I was like, well, I, what I said going into the final battle was my head cannon is if there's no body, he's not dead uh, because that's my son. And they sort of gave me a body, kind of. He's lying on a beach. His hand has turned to stone, but not the rest of him yet. And in this world, this curse overtakes people gradually. And you can have a stone hand and not be dead. Um, And then we see Joshua has written the Final Fantasy, this legendarium of, of the world in their future. So presumably Joshua lived. And right before Clive destroyed Origin. He did something to Joshua. He, like, healed him. And I was like, at first, I was like, oh, is he bringing him back to life? But he didn't move or anything. He just mm-hmm. clearly was healed. And I was like, maybe he just wants him to have more dignity and death. I don't know. But I was like, did, did Joshua wash up somewhere else on this beach?
0: <laughs> See, I'm going to have a take that I feel like most most fans probably won't agree with me with, though. But I, I don't think I want a DLC or a sequel. I think I want them to leave this. Because to me, this, was, this is another thing we didn't even talk about. This is a sort of review for the game. We live in a time where games are so often come out broken, buggy, incomplete, sold with pre-order bullshit, DLC packed in from the day one for more money. This was a complete, cohesive experience from beginning to end with its characters, its story. There was a small, small day one patch, but it wasn't needed. It was just to clean up a few things. The game ran perfectly. It, I, it felt worth my money. It felt complete. It, it I didn't feel like I was missing anything. Where you got... I mean, it's not... Not to just point the finger at Final Fantasy 15, which I had to release a bunch of post-patching and updating and, and DLCs, but just games in general. So often you get games that just don't work out the door, or this thing was obviously not finished, or things were rushed. This game didn't feel rushed at any point. It felt like it took its time. It built things out. Um, I
1: think I ran into one bug the whole yeah. game.
0: Yeah, it was really well done. Yeah. Uh, the, the The kind of the last thing I want to take us into before we get out of here is... Kind of for a comparison's sake, we, you can compare them to other. For, we could compare it to other Final Fantasy games, but I'm kind of thinking of Seven Remake mostly right now because to me, I feel like we're in kind of entering a kind of a golden era for Final Fantasy. Because I have my little bit of knowledge of Final Fantasy, but then I also have the knowledge of the fandom that I've become very aware of, which is you know the first six titles, the the two D games were loved were beloved by many, and then we get to the PS1 era, and we kind of blew people away with 7, 8, and 9. It was like that was, you know, the first 6 were great, and then 7, 8, 9 was like this golden era of like, because those games came out one year apart. 7, 8, 9, just one year apart. They were all so good, and it was brought into 3D. And then 10 was really good as well, but it's not usually included in that golden era. It's usually like 7, 8, so and I 9. I feel
1: like I know more people who love 10 than the No, lady.
0: but no, 10 is beloved as well, but like 10 is not usually... Reading. 10's not usually roped in with 7, 8, and 9. But like 10 was loved, and then 11 was an MMO, so it doesn't get the same attention. And then 12 is in this weird spot where I would say 12 is mostly seen as, was seen as the last good Final Fantasy by many people like I'm not obviously there's opinions for everyone here but this is just kind of of generalizing people saying like 12 was the last good one some people didn't like 12 but usually 12 was fixed by the zodiac age for those people didn't like it but 12 is kind of seen as the last good one 13 came out if you're a Final Fantasy fan you know all about this a lot of hype riding on that a lot of build up on that first one to come to 360 or the Xbox platform 13 kind of dropped the ball on many different fronts me and Erica both like 13 to some extent uh, you know, 14 came out, it dropped the ball, eventually it got fixed, that's why Yoshida, who was, who led 16, that's why he got his position doing 16, because he came in and fixed 14 and made Final Fantasy 14, the, like, the best MMO ever, um, and then 15 comes along, which was this game that had been hyped up for so long, 15 comes out, gets pretty good reviews, but it's obviously not completed in certain areas, it needs patches, it needs fix, it needs DLC to f- To add into the story where it was missing there's even a book that came out to conclude story dlc that never got done a lot of disappointed fans with 15 you get to this point where in 2015, i think it was 2016 when 15 comes out you have fans who haven't been happy with 15 they haven't been happy with 14 they haven't been happy with 13 12 was kind of the last good one for them ps2 era and then we get to this point where 7 remake comes out 7 remake blows people away it's this resurgence of quality final fantasy and now we have 16. And then, of course, Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO, has been fixed. And we have, like, people love Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO. People love 7 Remake. People love 16. And I just feel like we're in this really good era for Final Fantasy. And I hope they can keep this up going forward because the quality is so high. But to wrap this up, Erica, um, when I compare, like, let's compare Final Fantasy 7 Remake and 16 a bit. Because I think for you and me, either which way, we value those games very highly, both similarly. Where do you think 16? is be- I I'm actually going I'm going to steal it and kick it off first. Where do you think 16 exceeds over 7 remake? And for me, I don't think there's ever been a Final Fantasy, this might be a hot take for some people, where the writing has been this good. I think 16 has the best writing. Now somebody might say, "Oh, Brian, Sixteen, kinda of Game of Thronesy in some ways, like they copied. Like seven such an original story. You know, you writing
1: got, is different from storytelling.
0: Exactly. <laughs> that's where I'm getting. I was I might not have put it as well as you, but that's where I was getting. It's like seven, you know, it's got oh Sephiroth and it's got Genova and it's got uh Midgar and, and Shinra and all this stuff, and like that's such an original story where like what happened here with Clive and, and all the stuff going on and 16's less original. Yeah, the storytelling's so unique in seven and it's iconic, right? But the writing down to the very like small characters up to the wide scale like the world building the cast of characters how they connect the religions the faith the everything about this I feel like six Final Fantasy 16 has taken the whole entire franchise to another level with its writing and production values and that's where I feel it stands out and it also even though I feel like seven remake felt like a very complete game we know that it's not the full story mm-hmm. so in this way 16 feels like it's got such compelling writing, such good, write- different level of writing and spectacle and, and production value. And then it's also a complete story from beginning to end. What do you have to say about that?
1: I feel like I am less inclined to compare 7 and 16, 7 Remake and 16, um, because in my mind, like urban Final Fantasy and medieval Final Fantasy are kind of very different categories. I would be more apt to compare like 7, 8, maybe 10. 13, 15, and then compare like 1 through 6, 9, 12, and 16. I guess
0: for me, I think the design philosophy of 7 Remake and 16 are very much in line with how well, they're designed. Yeah. In,
1: in that they are, I mean, production... As a game, I mean. Yeah, yeah, as a gaming experience, yeah, for sure. I think... Um, Both more
0: action-based. They're, they're more
1: action-based. They're more uh, accessible person, to yeah. people who are maybe not... Already big into the JRPG genre, yeah. genre, um, but man, I have I have so many I have so many thoughts. I think that the battle system is probably more accessible in Seven. Uh, really? Okay. Well, I think the I ma- disagree. I think the materia thing is pretty easy to like. Oh, you have this I ability. Think- swap these things in and out. I think that having to swap between there's a lot of different button pushing in in 16 like you have i to think
0: be... yeah i completely disagree with you mm-hmm. i think seven is not a hard game to understand but like seven is far more asking far more players it's far more complicated you have to level up different materias different materials do different things they can be swapped between characters then you have the fact that you're controlling three people at, at all times uh, that you're freezing time to choose their abilities and set them up and then also, there's like the resistances and stuff like that that's not in this game. I feel like it's a lot less approachable in 7. Sixteen, Anybody who's played an action game before, I mean, if you played anything from Bayonetta to Devil May Cry, you know that it's. I mean, it's essentially mashing buttons and watching your cooldowns. So that's my opinion. Erica doesn't and agree. No, I, th- but... I
1: mean it is mashing buttons, but it's not mashing the same button. No, I think no, that I like, mean. you know, in Final Fantasy 7 I'm like, oh, I have these different materia. But like, I can have more than one of it and I can give it to anybody. See, to me, you're just
0: making a point where it'd be more complicated, in my opinion. I don't
1: think so. Like, cause like, oh, I, this person can cure with this materia. I can go buy more of that materia and this person can do cures. I just, I feel like you're leveling up abilities and it doesn't matter who they go with um, for the most part. But I felt, I, it, but the that the, the real-time activity of the battle, I think, not the leveling up system, the real-time activity of the battle, I think is more complicated in... 16 than in seven um because you're pressing like three buttons in in seven but in 16 you're like oh i gotta hold this while i press this and this and then switch between these two and watch these cooldowns um you know i think if you're a plebe then 16 is probably harder on your hands um but what else was i comparing design
0: i mean you said you wouldn't really compare seven remake to 16 yeah Mm -hmm. i
1: wouldn't other than I mean, like they're clearly like as a as an aesthetic piece and as a as a game. The way they're production. developed
0: as games, I think is similar. Yeah, the
1: way they're developed yeah. as games is similar and they're clearly from the same era in the way that mm-hmm. like you were saying 79 and are from the same era or ten and twelve are kind of sort of the same era. Um I definitely see that similarity in like design yeah. style and production style, but in terms of like content and themes, I don't think I would compare them.
0: Oh, content themes, not at all. No, I wouldn't I was literally just talking about development as a game because like six like there's you can kind of see the trajectory here, right? Like thirteen came in when Final Fantasy Thirteen came in, they wanted to make it much more action-y, but they wanted to keep it turn based so it had that paradigm shift. And the action's very quick in in thirteen, but it's still turn based. And they introduced the stagger system there. Then you get to fifteen. Fifteen, they drop the turn based, they just go more action, stagger's still there. Then you get a seven remake they've blended the action with the turn base and they've kept the stagger. The stagger has been a huge part of their development of, of the, the combat going forward. And then you get to 16 and they pretty much dropped any element of turn base and it's just completely action and they kept that stagger system in there. So I think it's something they've been iterating on mm-hmm. and you can see these things kind of coming together now and being similar. But there's, there's definitely a difference between the gameplay of 7, remake, and 16. But I feel we're just at this place where they feel like they have a vision more mm-hmm. for these games, and I—I I, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like if you like Seven Remake or you like Sixteen, there's a very good chance that you'd like the other one based on it as a game. Maybe yeah, if, the, you, if you mean yeah, like the experience
1: of like the vibe, sure.
0: Of playing the video game, yeah, yeah, you might not like. Obviously, like there's like Seven Remake is like, oh hey, this is like a cyberpunky world that's about hurting the planet. Which, oddly enough...
1: Also hurting the planet. Hurting the
0: planet in this game. But this is more like medieval fantasy. High, oh, High, man. high, high brow. Yeah.
1: I just... Ooh. So, the reason they're hurting the planet in 7 is they're pulling the Mako from the planet yeah. in order to make their lives easier with electricity provided yeah. by Mako. They're hurting the planet and by and drawing ether to make their lives easier with yeah. magic Yeah. yeah. in 16 so they're actually really doing the same thing for the yeah. same reasons it's just a, it's one's a technological source and one's but you're a gonna get slow. if you
0: hate high fantasy that could kill it for you because like okay. 16 high fantasy 16 is high fantasy and yeah. seven is seven's more like more goofy, like goofy cyber
1: fantasy urban fantasy cyberpunk yeah. like it is goofier seven's definitely goofier yeah um this everything about 16 is heavier
0: yeah heavier more serious but yeah Okay. Uh, as a conclusion, so if you had to definitively pick your number, you you picked two before. I'm picking. I'm saying this is a, a 4.5 out of five or a nine out of ten for me is where I'm at right now. Obviously, things could change. Where are you? Don't feel see. inclined to. You just feel what you, say what you feel. You know.
1: He's looking at me really judgmentally. Everybody. Well, because I
0: feel like I, I don't want you to think that me saying nine means you need to come down. Like say nine point five. That's how you feel. Say ten. If that's I'm how you feel. I'm saying
1: I'm gonna say nine point five and with cut. full knowledge that I might lower it on a replay. Yeah, but I might leave it.
0: Yeah. To me. To me. I guess. And the thing is, Erica's not like super involved in all the news and like happenings of the industry. Like to me, I my feel video like,
1: game love is more pure. Yeah. I,
0: <laughs> I feel like I feel like there's so much obvious scuttlebutt about. The, the negatives of this game or the the point the places that might turn people off that it's very easy for me to be at a nine because uh, i feel like there's apparent problems that are there but the thing is the the oh here's like this people say like oh the sum of its parts is better than its parts well like in this instance the parts are extremely damn good and then the sum i mean it is even better right like so it's like it's easy to like of course if we weren't trying to be critical and, and trying to be logical here I would just go up 10 that was a 10 ex- like, to me that be- I felt
1: so many feelings
0: yeah as far as a game experience goes that's one of the best game experiences i've had that was just a 10 for me right but like on a critical level I can acknowledge some mistake like an eight to me would feel betrayed betraying this game this mm-hmm. game feels better than an eight but it's definitely a solid nine for me um once again caught up in my hyperbole right in the moment like this is like top five or six like I think of uh, top games for me is like you know halo one and two Princess Majora's Mask Ocarina of Time 7 Remake 7 and then there's 16 mm-hmm. like the Final Fantasy Zelda Halo but then 16's right there like I'd put 16 above the way I'm feeling right now and this could completely be different after I'm out of the hype I'd put this above like Skyrim i put this above Dark Souls I'd put this above Gears of War and Batman which I know these aren't all games Erica loves but she loves Skyrim uh, but I would put this above that because the storytelling, the characters—they're gonna—they're gonna resonate with me for so long. I'm gonna be thinking about this. I but,
1: already ordered Clive and Jill art to hang she in did. our home, we,
0: we, and she's been she's been drawing too. And like we've been talking about this. It's and,
1: artsy. It's not like you know screenshots or posters or anything. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but this is uh, this is gonna be a game that me and Erica revisit probably yearly if we have the time. I mean, just like Seven Remake. To me, this was like a Seven Remake moment all over again because I won't go into the whole story again. But you guys have heard before, like. Seven Remake was such a special experience for me and Erica because we were newly married and there was COVID and we were locked in, we weren't working, we were playing it. Well, this time it was like it was our anniversary the, the day that this game came out. We started playing on our anniversary, we got a babysitter, and then we've just been switching back and forth, Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy, switching back and forth for two and a half weeks now, a little over two and a half weeks, and it's just been such a great experience. This is going to be, now obviously something could change, but I doubt there's there's just no way it's going to change. This is our game of the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Erica, I mean, she hasn't played Tears of the Kingdom yet. She loves Zelda, but you're a Final Fantasy Tears of the Kingdom.
1: Listen, I played the heck out of Breath of the Wild. I did so much stuff in that. But I love a story-based game, and Tears of the Kingdom ain't gonna be it compared to Final Fantasy 16. There's no way.
0: There's no way. This is gonna be... And for me, like... And Erica said she's interested in Starfield as well. Like, the only thing that could pose a challenge is Starfield, but, like, I don't... Like, Starfield doesn't have, like, the story and character... Well... I haven't played Starfield, but you know Bethesda games. They don't have the story of the characters in the same way. And then also, I want my, you know, A to B story kind of game like I get with this. Obviously, it's an RPG and there was side quests and stuff. But like Starfield, something's going to be hundreds of hours. This is going to be our game of the year. I don't think it has much of a chance of winning game of the year with Tears of the Kingdom and Starfield out there, plus Spider Man Two, Diablo Four, Resident Evil Four. I mean, all the stuff. I don't think, but it probably will win. Oh, we didn't talk
1: about the voice acting.
0: Best voice actor for Ben Starr. Oh, man. You know? He was
1: so good. Listen, Clive, you know, he's a, bit, he's a he's a big scary warrior guy, right? Like, he gets angry and stuff. But there were... There he cries always, and hugs. He cries and hugs. And there were a lot of moments where he was crying some manly yeah. tears. And I was just so impressed with the voice acting. I was like, he doesn't just sound angry. He doesn't just sound like he's trying to tough it through this. He sounds broken and it's perfect. Uh, yep. Really skillful voice acting.
0: Jill was great. Yeah. I mean, all the voice acting He's was great. So Obviously, Sid was amazing. Torgle's the best uh, boy.
1: I need a I need a Torgle sprite hmm. pin for my backpack. Someone, yeah. let me know when you find where those exist because I've seen them and I can't find. It's it. hard
0: not to fall in love with this game. I mean, it's. I mean, Erica said at the beginning of the podcast, this is. This could potentially be her favorite game of all time. That's so a big. Good. That's a big statement coming from Erica. That sounds more like something I would say than Erica. So
1: yeah, I, I'm really not inclined to come off of a game that I really enjoyed be like that's like my top ten games. Yeah. I usually don't say that. But,
0: but it was just so amazing in so such many different ways. Erica, do and you have like, any final? Clues? I to say yeah. Go ahead. I mean, if
1: I if I say anything else, I'll start off. I mean, a whole different well, go language, ahead. Really. Go ahead. I mean, we're not. Well, I was just you were saying something about earlier about like comparing story with like seven being really original and uh, sixteen being more traditional and i said as we were playing this that i felt like it was possibly the most accessible final fantasy Mm -hmm. story that i'd played uh in terms of like if it (laughs) if it weren't m rated my 75 year old dad would love to watch me play that game and and experience the story Uh, he used to watch me play 12 when i was a teenager and uh and he enjoyed that but it wasn't like you know, 15, I love 15. Okay, don't be hating on 15. But 15 has this has a couple of big story gaps that they made up for with DLC. This doesn't have anything like that. Like, no. you can just go with Full it. Full experience. And the, and, this, and the story is not so, like... I'm speaking regarding an American audience. It's not so, like, um, convoluted or, like, twisty that people can't follow it. Um, now, personally, I love that stories from Japan are not all the hero's journey, but i also acknowledge that the vast majority of stories that people like follow the same 15 plot beats. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, final fantasy 16 was both really powerful but all- was really powerful while still telling a story that was i don't want to say familiar but a st- let's say grounded. ground yeah, a story that's going to grab a broad audience while also being like really unique. Like it's got character. the crazy like
0: oh crazy fighting boss battles up in the sky, craziness. Yeah. But then it's also got like, let me help these pe- help these people in this town and like save the cat. You know, it, I it was so it's just so good. Save I mean, I, I it, it's all it's all I've wanted to do since the game came out. And like, you know, uh, a single Brian or a single Erica maybe. Well, actually, single Erica would probably still take a couple weeks because she's just not like me. But like a single Brian would have been okay, four days or less. This whole game is completed. <laughs> but so it's been two and a half. There weeks. were
1: days where I was like. Brian, I'm playing Final Fantasy today more than I want to be playing Final Fantasy because you're so far ahead of me and I have yeah. to catch up. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, think about it this way guys, like to 100% this game's like 60 to 70 hours. We both did that in separate playthroughs, so we're talking Also like,
1: yeah. Yeah, a lot normally, of time normally when we play a game together we share the same campaign and pass the controller back and forth we decided we were not going to do that with this one and one of the reasons that i didn't want to do that was because i was convinced that he would not want to have the same character build as me and that i love to do all the little random side things and we had the same character building with build. the same character build, and he hundred percented it what yeah. does that ever happen Th- that's why that's
0: why it's a special game to me because i don't ever want to i never want to do the side stuff ever like the only game I can, th- I think I, I, well, I know I 100%ed the original Fable, but that's a smaller, it's an older game, so like 100%ing the original Fable is 40 hours. I've 100%ed that. I've never even, like, i played, I've beat Ocarina of Time 40 times probably. I'm over never
1: 100%ing it. Ghost of Tsushima and Hogwarts Legacy.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's crazy about it, but like, I just don't do that. But this game, this game had the exact kind of quests I wanted. Simple, with extremely high quality writing and voice acting. It was amazing. Final Fantasy 16 is the Arvet Household's Game of the Year. Erica's at a 9.5. I'm at a 9. Could be. Someday
1: we're going to be Clive and Jill for Halloween.
0: Someday we're going to be Clive and Jill for Halloween. Maybe maybe we could have a Riverby little Torgle suit. Little baby puppy. Little, little baby Torgle. Little puppy Torgle. She could, a,
1: well, yeah.
0: That'd be amazing. But uh, uh, just an amazing experience. She could be a Moogle. Uh, she could be a Moogle, yeah. Uh, Victor. <laughs> another one to add to the list for us. Uh, it was a phenomenal experience. Final Fantasy is very important to this household. Now, it already was to Erica, but like. Man, as it moved up the ranks for me, and, and this could be Erica's favorite game of all time. It's in my top ten. Oh, phenomenal! I can't wait to come back to you guys in six months to a year and say, "Hey, I'm either feeling the same way, maybe I like it more, maybe I like it less." I don't, I don't feel like that's going to happen. But of course, that's the hyperbole talking sometimes. So, uh, but guys, thanks for joining us. Um, you guys know where to go. You can follow Josh at Jedi Knight, uh, Joshy. Technically, if you want to follow Erica, she is at Erica Arvet on Twitter. She's never there. She never uses it. That doesn't exist. To but me. Uh, but uh, you can follow uh, me at Brian's Bane. You can follow Sacred Icon at Sacred Icon Pod. If you want to toss a buck or two our way, you can go to Patreon.com/sacredicon. Send us a voicemail or an email at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. and come join the Discord. Erica's there as well. She doesn't she doesn't go in there too often, but we're there. We have a lot of fun in the Discord. Come join that. We love uh, love talking to you guys. So. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Sacred Icon Podcast, and as always, keep it sacred.